Welcome to Coached Soul, a podcast for a better you. Here's your host, Steve Hudgens. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Steve, your host. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This podcast is about how to be a better you. Sometimes we interview a variety of people to help you to look at things from a different perspective. Sometimes I talk with my co-host, Keith Brown, who is a Marine veteran and theologian. Together with a therapeutic view or a theologian point of view, we try to give you fresh ideas how to look at things in a different perspective. Word of caution, today's topic is sensitive in nature, and we want to be careful about playing this podcast around children. Today's topic is sensitive and was meant to help couples to have a better relationship. Thank you for joining and enjoy today's podcast. Tracy, uh, welcome back and really enjoyed our conversation the last time. Where I want to go with today is here we have a lot of problems that we talk about, but we don't get to solutions. And I don't think there's enough education out there. So we just kind of go off on a whim or misinformation that's out there. Touch on that a little bit of what are some healthy ways that we can find some solutions to have a healthy sex life by how men and women communicate. I think we kind of talked a little bit about how women and men communicate, but we don't talk a little bit about what happens when it stops and then let's find some solutions. Well, of course, the first solution is is that we're both going to have to step into some really courageous space and decide to have the conversation and pursue it. Because a lot of times people will start a conversation, um, but it starts feeling icky. And so we kind of step away from it and all that stuff gets laying under the rug. And so I'll often ask people, I'm like, you know, all, all relationships have a little bit of stuff under the rug. What I'm trying to figure out right now is how high up toward the ceiling is your rug? Like, you know, do you have a whole lot of things under there? And, and, you know, I think the very first thing is just for the couple to ground themselves in each other. Like, here's why this is important to me. Here's why, you know, so that we're starting from a place of, of commitment and of safety. I'm here. I want to be part of this solution. This has to do with both of us. I'm not, I know it hasn't felt good to me how we've been managing that. How about you? But, you know, really what I find is that because we've never learned how to have healthy sexual health conversations, right? Like we know locker room talk and we know joking, but we don't really know where, where are our adults supposed to go to learn about sexual health? We don't offer for a lot of space for that. So there are, there are great resources online as far as couple books, the Prepare Enrich program does premarital and marital mentorships. So trying to find maybe a class through your church is always a great kind of peripheral way to get information without it having to feel so personal. I think if there are sexual struggles such as erectile dysfunction or pain with sex or mismatched sexual desire between the couple with one really having a higher desire than the other. You know, I think being able to write down the very specific issues that you're having and to identify a conversation with a with your healthcare provider is a great place to start. You can check through different 
organizations like ASECT and ASHA, A-S-H-A. You know, these are all places where you can get good sexual health information. But I think also the willingness just to talk to somebody is is important because until we kind of address the physical issues, can we know how to dive into the relational issues? And a lot of times in our society, it's, it's, it starts with a physical issue, erectile changes, vaginal changes, desire changes. So, you know, a lot of that tends to start in the body and we just don't know how to, how to fix that. So, you know, there's all kinds of resource. We live in a day where information is readily available to us. It's just making sure we get to the right sources of information. Therapists deal with a whole lot of sexuality. Pelvic floor physical therapists deal with sexuality issues. So we have lots of places. We just have to be willing to give ourselves permission to go outside when we need help. And it's just I mean, we've had the same struggle with mental health, right? Like recognizing that you need that you need help and being willing to reach for the help is is like the first huge step. And you know, feeling defensive about it. You know, you talked about in the first podcast that we that we discussed about how men need to get to the woman's brain first, and men are you know it's by touch first. Right. It's it, it it's challenging sometimes that we think, oh, everything is just my body, it's my physical. But mm-hmm. for for men, I mean, even for me, I'll I'll be personal here for a second. It, it is the fact sometimes we got so much going on in our brain that mm-hmm. stress affects the physical aspect of how the body responds. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anxiety is the antithesis of pleasure. Right. And, you know, if you live in an anxious brain or a depressed brain, you know, you're, think, you're, you're not at the higher levels of your thinking when your brain is in those places. Anxiety and depression are huge in our society. I mean, it's an epidemic proportions uh, in, in my thinking anyway. And if pleasure and desire cannot coexist with anxiety and depression, then you can see how societally we're setting up for a whole lot of struggle. If, if my amygdala gets turned on and, I, and I'm worried about whether I need to, to flee or freeze, then I'm not, my brain's thinking we're about to die because my amygdala is telling us we're all revved up and I've got this adrenaline dump happening in my body. So if I'm, if I'm needing to fly or I'm needing to freeze, I'm probably not going to be thinking about sex because that's a different function than life survival. And then you think about medications. I once asked, um, probably about seven or eight years ago, I asked a pharmacist at cancer treatment to make me a list of medications that could impact erectile function for a gentleman. And he called me back three days later and he said, Tracy, I am so surprised by what I have learned in these last three days. He said it would be easier for me to give you a list of the medications that don't have potential for causing sexual uh, side effects in a man of erectile dysfunction than the medications that don't have that ability. And and Um, one one, one of the things I want to make clear too is that because of this knowledge that we just expressed, 
it's not a reason to stop your medication either. Oh my goodness. No, because we can work around those things, right? It's the awareness of it. Like my point to that story is, you know, if we told people, I think about antidepressants that can really impact or take away sexual desire completely. I think about antidepressants that can block our ability to find orgasm. What my thought of that is, is that we should be telling folks, hey, this is a potential side effect that could happen. So when we follow up in however long, let's make sure that you've kind of paid attention to that so that if that's a problem for you, because it doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to a fair enough amount of people that we know it's an issue. If that becomes an issue for you, please let me know so we can try something different. I mean, there's a reason why we have a gazillion high blood pressure medications and antidepressants and diabetic medications. It's because all the one pill doesn't work well for everybody. And so we have to, you know, there has to be some tailoring and sometimes it takes you know, trying two or three different classes of a medication till we can find the right balance in your in a individual's body. So I think the big thing is just the awareness, right? That this, this is a known side effect. So if we could create enough comfort in that conversation, you know, then people would be more aware. And I think it would be less, um, it would be less fear inducing for them if they're like, oh, okay, you know what? I did know that this could be a potential problem. And so it's showing up and now I'll be able to talk about this to my provider, to my prescriptive provider, and maybe we can look at something different. Or if it's a med that we really need to have, and there are a lot of meds that we really need to have for a medical illness, then how can we work around that medication? You know, we're very focused in our society that sex means an erection and a vagina are meeting up. And that's just not the case. We have erogenous zones from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. We have the ability to feel pleasure throughout all of our body. And in our Western culture, we've kind of gotten pretty focused on, you know, chest and genitals. So one of the first things I want to help couples do that are having sexual struggle is really pull away the focus from the intercourse piece of it and begin to work on the sensuality, physical connection piece of that scenario. Because there are going to be situations in life where a woman cannot accommodate penetrative sex. There's going to be times in life where a man cannot accommodate penetrating intercourse. So let's make sure that people have lots of things on their sex menu, not just one or two things on their menu. Because I can guarantee you boredom is one of the issues in sexuality in long-term marriage. You know, if we only have two items on our menu, like if I'm going to a restaurant and I'm going to that restaurant every day for 20 years and it's the same two items on the menu, I'm probably not going to be as enthusiastic about that chicken fried steak 20 years later. So Tracy, are you talking about let's have 50 shades of gray and have different opportunities to do in different things? What, what do you mean by two menus and how can we make that menu a little bit more? 
So that menu can be whatever is right for the couple. Fifty mm-hmm. Shades of Grey is not going to be right for every couple, right? But what are the th- what are our accesses to pleasure? What are our accesses to connection? Is it a good makeout session? Is it handholding? Is it cuddling? Is it you know doing recreational activities together? Is it a shared intellectual intimacy? Um, you know, we have so many accesses to shared intimacy that we really have pigeonholed that to a smaller thing. So, you know, a lot of folks are not going to be into the 50 shades of gray. That's not what's right for them. But there's always things that can be honoring to a couple and they get to decide that nobody else gets to decide that for them. I, I like those points, Tracy, because I think we get stuck with the fantasy world of Fifty Shades, this is how sex is supposed to be, or different movies or, or characters, the, the drama of the romance that happens. We, we just, we focus on that, but we don't focus on opportunities. Like I've always heard the expression that women are like ovens, they're not microwaves, you can't turn them on. The best way to get to a woman's mind is get it started in the morning by working with her brain of, slowly doing that way and being romantic. What do you think about those messages? You know, I talk to couples that if we're going to have, if we know this is kind of our sexy time day and most couples, I mean, in the early days, we have a lot of spontaneous sexual encounters, but as people um, in committed relationships uh, move through life together. Um, there's a little bit less of that spontaneous up against the wall kind of thing. And, and it really does become more about the experience, like the quality of the experience over the quantity of the experience. So, you know, helping people learn what turns them on. I mean, I have a lot of women who come in who say, I don't have desire, I don't feel arousal. But when you say, so what are some of the things that are arousing to you? They have no response, right? Women are kind of socialized to believe that their sexual pleasure is reliant upon the man. But we really don't do a very good job of teaching the man about the woman's sexual body, how it works, how it responds. How do we warm that oven up so that it can cook along with us? And that changes throughout life. So what's working at 30 is not going to work at 40, is not going to work at 50. So it's about creating that safe space where throughout our journey, we can revisit how we give and receive pleasure and what is pleasurable in our bodies versus what doesn't maybe feel good anymore. So I like you know, how you- we get this one good technique down and we're going to ride that one till the cows come home. And that one really good technique might have been wonderful at the start, but because it never progressed, it became boring in the brain. The brain doesn't want to do things necessarily over and over and over to feel excitement and pleasure. And that's why I try to speak to men and couples that we have to have a sense of mystery for a man. Not that we're hiding, but creating a sense of mystery that sparks an interest to create that creativity within a woman. And, you know, one one of the things I want to kind of in in the last 10, 15 minutes a week, what I want to talk about here is sexual abuse. Mm. I've had uh, men who have have had sexual abuse, whether it was a, a female on him when he was younger or 
the same uh, sex type touch for a man and the same thing for a woman. Let's talk a little bit about what sexual abuse does to both sexes and then how can they overcome with what they're dealing with. And that's not about guilt and shame, but how to overcome it if they feel guilt and shame. Well, I tell you, I've, I've, I've truly carry a huge burden about sexual trauma because we know we know what we know, but we also know that we don't know a huge amount of that because most people never talk about it. It's never presented. People don't tell their story. And I think, of course, it depends on was that abuse, you know, what stage of that person's development that, that did that abuse happen to them? What understanding did they have of it? Who was the person? right? Like, is this somebody who's in my inner circle that I'm supposed to trust and that maybe has authority over me and they're abusing both that position of trust and authority, which is usually the case, right? It, that's the predominant case because that's going to tell the person who is the victim of that situation, how do then I begin, how do I give out trust? I gave trust to this person. You know, how do I, how do I, how do I accept authority in my life when I've had that so abused? And then how do I undo that and then go on to become a sexual person? So I think a lot depends upon who the abuser was to the victim and their positioning in their life. Um, I think it matters if that was an ongoing over time experience or if that was a one-time experience you know, so much plays into the trauma that people carry. And how does that, how long has that story happened? And what's the story evolved to today, right? Because our brains cover things up that maybe we don't want to remember, or they grow things that were really traumatic to us. So what's that story to us today? And how is it impacting our intimacy? So that can be so highly individual, but we do a lot of trauma work, right? You're a therapist. So this is kind of your, your, ba- your, your ball of wax is I'm working with, and we'll just say a woman or a man, either way, I'm working with this man. I'm working with this woman to address the sexual trauma that they experienced in their life. And we have worked through it. We've done a lot of grounding, you know, in inside of her brain when, when, or his brain, when it takes off in those anxious places, we've figured out how to ground back into the, the place of today, the safety of today. But now how does that translate into a sexual experience, right? That's, that's the place where we're kind of dropping off is we're working with this person one-on-one on their trauma, but then we need to help them transition into what that means in a sexual experience with a partner. And I think it's always important for the partner to understand the triggers. Like we need to both understand what triggers are so that we know to avoid them. I like to have people do body mapping with themselves first, which is just basically kind of going head to toe and creating a map about places that don't feel good to me when they're touched so that our partners can understand what the map of our body looks like. So we map ourselves. And then we bring our partner in to share our map with that partner. So they know. And I think about this with women who have had breast cancer, right? Like they've had their breasts removed. They've had surgery. All of this is now a place of trauma for them. 
And so maybe breasts were a big part of that couple's shared sexuality before that trauma came, but now that shuts her down. That's an off switch. She's done, no more. And so we have to really examine that, you know, is how does her body map out? Where are the okay places? And what can we do to avoid the places that hit the off switch for her or that trigger a negative feeling for her? Um, but body mapping is really a powerful thing for a couple because then we can learn what parts are, are the goes and what parts are the no's. Um, and then we can move that forward into sensate focus, which is basically starting very peripheral with touch. And it's a very guided over many, like you have a session, we talk about this phase of sensate focus. And the first three sessions include no touch that goes to the chest or the genitals, right? We're just touching the body. We're feeling touch, temperature, texture. Um, we're just being present in those places. And then we very slowly move into a sexual realm. And the person, if they've had sexual trauma, they always get to be the one who gives the green light to move to the next phase. So, and, and you try to process between each phase of that. So it can be a really difficult thing. Some people can work it out on their own. Some people cannot. And I think it's important to know whether you're those people or not, which, so, which people are we? So Tracy, in your, in your practice, uh, people come to you for, for help with their sexual things. And, and of course, when you have uh, PTSD or form of sexual, uh, not uh, body trauma, not sexual trauma, body trauma, yeah. meaning an organ's been removed or been modified in some way. I mean, that's a heavy impact uh, to think about when people come to you to, for that help. Tell me a little bit more about intimate pathways and, and how you can help people who are struggling. So at intimate pathways, um, primarily I'm going to be coming from a place of body education. You know, we're going to assess what body functions we have, what's working like we want it to, what isn't working like we want it to. You know, that's related to the urinary system, the bowel system, the brain system. Everything is a ref sexuality is a reflection of the rest of our life. It's that mirror back to how life is going. I think the first thing is helping people be comfortable, find acceptance in their own bodies for the bodies, the, the way that it is at that particular time. It's about helping the partner accept the body. As it is, I think about, um, you know, people who have ostomies and suddenly these bodily functions that we don't talk about in the world are external and visible. And how do we manage that sexually? Well, we have to first get comfortable in our own skin and then we have to bring the partner in to get comfortable in our own, in, in, in our shared skin together. And so that, that's the place we're going to start. We're going to also start with a lot of education, thinking back to like a colostomy situation. We're going to talk about what are some tools that we can have that exist out in the world to help us modify that. What can we do to make this the best situation that it can possibly be to set us up for success? So a lot of talk goes on here. A lot of um, education goes on here. You know, this is our problem. Here are some potential solutions. Here's how you utilize that solution. Um, here's how you can apply it into a sexual shared situation. 
So we want to look at erectile dysfunction and how can we manage that? And we want to look at vaginal dryness. How can we manage that as a couple? Some, I would say predominantly, everyone stays completely clothed and it's mostly talk. Um, there are some different scenarios, a few different scenarios where we might be doing some body work. And before we ever do any body work, the session before, we're going to talk about it. We're going to plan for it. We're going to make sure everybody knows exactly what's going to happen and how it happens so that that anxiety is gone for them or it's lessened for them. And when they get here, we're going to, you know, it, it is all about ongoing enthusiastic yes consent for me. Like we're either yes, and we're going to do it or we're not because I don't want to be part of the trauma story for that person. I want to be part of the healing story for that person. So, you know, just um, ongoing communication. And I think couples watch that in those scenarios, right? Like they watch how I manage the communication in those scenarios, and then they can take that out into their own home with that understanding and with seeing what that looks like playing out. Um, and I think that's really powerful for people. I think it's powerful just to be given permission to talk about it. Right? You know, and, and, and that's right. You know, you're the new Dr. Ruth that's out here in the modern day world that you provide some dignity to the talk. And for our listeners out there, this is uh, Tracy Owens from Intimate Pathways. You can find her online at intimatepathways.org. Contact Tracy at 918-283-7130. Again, that number is 918-283-7130. Tracy, it has been a pleasure in getting to know a little bit more about sex and not to be Absolutely. afraid of it. Well, you know, there's the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it out in our community, the easier the conversation will be for other folks. So I'd love to help anybody through that conversation um, with dignity, with grace, and a whole lot of love. All right, Tracy, thank you for our listeners. Till next time, y'all be safe. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, be safe and be kind.